I um, recently had sort of a revelation from God. I was going through something tough and sort of like, God, like, why am I going through this? Like, why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go through this? Have you guys ever asked that why question? Okay, yeah. I think we all have, right? Like, we've been in those times where it's like, why, why me? Or like, why is this happening? Or why do I have to see this? Why do I have to do this? And I got this sort of image of a soldier going in to see, like, the general and saying, this war, this battle is too much for me. Like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, why do I have to be the one to go into this battle? And the general basically saying, because you're the right man for the job. And that seems really simple, but to sort of explain that more, the idea was like that soldier going in to ask that question, he was like leading these troops, right? And he was, he's gotten this far and he's getting, in, getting ready to go into the hardest battle of his life. And he's like, why me? Like, why do I have to do this? And the idea is because you've gotten this far, you've gotten this far, you, you've, you, you know how to conduct yourself in battle, you know what to do next, you are, you are the right man for this job, like your life has led you to this point and you're ready for it because you're here <laughs> kind of idea. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sort of a weird way for God to kind of say like, and it's, again, it's simple, but he was just speaking like you're the right man for this job because you're here, you know, and, and, and it's, it's comforting to know like, okay, God has brought me up to this point. He's going to bring me through this next stage. And ultimately I know how to deal with this because I, I, I've dealt with a lot of stuff in in my past. So it's like kind of mind bending a little bit. And I, I don't know how to explain it any better than that, but it was a comforting thing of like, okay, like I am, I am ready for this battle. I am ready for this tough thing that I'm going to go through. So I want you guys to keep that in mind as we read tonight, and we're going to do something a little different, because this passage we're going to read tonight, it's a big passage, we're going to read a lot of scripture, but it's, it's tough to teach, not because of the content, or because it's like heavily theological, or, or anything like that, or not that it's controversial, but it's just sort of part of this story. And sometimes those parts of the Bible is a little more difficult to like really dig into it because some of the themes that we're going to talk about tonight is stuff we've already unpacked. It's stuff we've already learned about. Paul's going to talk about his conversion story again, uh, which again, we've, we've already talked about that. We've already unpacked that. We've, we've seen a lot of the stuff that's going to come up tonight. Um, but what I want you guys to see is that everything in Paul's life has led up to this moment. Everything in his life is coming, and that's why things start to repeat, because it's like, it's it's all happening, and it's all led up to this one thing, and it, he's now like living out the way God has prepared him for that battle. Does that make sense? So, we're going to read like a chapter and a half, and I was hoping that we could all read together as a small group. Uh, does anyone not like to read out loud? You all good with it? You good? 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 Annie, good? Okay. 
Um, I typically don't like to read out loud, which is funny because I do it every week to you guys, but uh, that's just where I'm at. <laughs> but since it's a small group and we're all going to do this together, uh, we can jump in. So we are going to read Acts 21 verses 22 through chapter 22 verse 30. Big chunk. Big chunk. I'll read the first 10. Yeah? And then we just want to go. So we're starting verse. Verse 22. 22, okay. Alright. You guys remember where we're at, what we talked about last week? Do you guys at least remember the title of last, like what we talked about, what the main verse was, what the title was? Do you guys remember what we talked about? Well, I remember what we talked about, but I don't remember the title or the main verse. <laughs> main verse was, the, uh, or the, the title was, We Are His Workmanship. So the idea of God creating us as a tool in order to do good works. So we're a tool. He created us as a tool in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That was the idea. That was the main verse that we looked at last week. So he created us as a tool to use us as a tool to create more tools. That's kind of what he's done for us and with us, which is an amazing thing. And so where we find ourselves is Paul has finished his third missionary trip. He's come to Jerusalem. He purposed in the Spirit to come to Jerusalem. And ever since he purposed in the Spirit, there have been prophecies until he got to Jerusalem where people are saying, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is telling us, you are going to be bound, you are going to be arrested, you are going to be persecuted, you are going to be tortured, you are going to go through some really hard things. And Paul says, I'm not only willing to do, go through all that. I'm willing to die for the name of Jesus Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it's what I'm called to do. And if I don't fulfill my purpose, then everything else is useless. So that's where we find ourselves. He comes, he presents himself to the elders, uh, the leadership of Christianity at the time, James, which is probably the, the brother of Jesus. He's sort of the leader in Jerusalem at that time, and the other elders. And they say... There's a lot of Jews that have been converted, but there's a lot of Jews who hate you, Paul. So that's where we're picking up our story in verse 22. It says, What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. They're saying this to Paul. They're, they're going to hear that you're here, and they're going to hear also that you've been telling the Hebrews, this is not true what Paul has been saying this, but they're saying, You've been telling the Hebrews that they can live like Gentiles and they don't have to follow the law. Okay, just to catch you up there. Verse 23, Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that they all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple and announced the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Just a little pause here. Again, this is the vow of the Nazarite. So they have to say how long this vow is going to last. And that's what they're doing here. They have to announce the expiration. This is how long this vow is going to last. 
it starts with shaving their heads and a uh, sacrifice. It ends with a sacrifice and shaving their heads to show that they have completed that thing. So that's what's going on here. They're announcing that expiration. They go into the temple to do so. Verse 27. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried away by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, Away with him. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and let the four thousand assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers of law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus, at that noon suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light, and were afraid. 
but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. He came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, and to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and eat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. They didn't like that thing about being sent to the Gentiles. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. That was what the uproar was sort of about, right? But what we see in this is, again, a lot of stuff that's already happened in Paul's life where he speaks the truth, People get upset, and then they come after him. The difference is, as I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but Paul, his entire life, right, before he came to know Jesus, before he became a Christian, he 
was working his entire life to impress the Jews. Right? He's like, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, you know, he even mentioned it here. I studied under Gamaliel. Like, I, you know, he, he was like living with and he knew all these people and he, he was working. They knew him because he, he was impressed. He was an impressive, impressive guy. He had large portions of scripture committed to memory. He was zealous to go after the, the Christians, you know, which was seen by the Jews at that time. Like, wow, this is, he's, he's like on fire, you know? So he's saying all these things and then he get he becomes a Christian and he renounces all that and says, no, I was, I was wrong to do all these things. And so then he has a heart for these people, the Jews, who he's been trying to impress this whole time. And he goes to speak to them and they do this kind of thing, right? And now he's in Jerusalem. He's speaking right to them and they try and kill him. They attack him. So it's like, like I said, his whole life has been leading up to this moment and when you read it, you can kind of like just breeze past it and be like, all right, it's just part of the story. He's kind of repeating himself. Let's move on. But for Paul, like this is a pivotal time in his life. This is a huge moment in his life where these people who he knows and he's been living his life for them to know him. And now he has a heart for them to be saved. They're rejecting them and they're trying to kill him. And what we see throughout this whole thing is even though the Holy Spirit has been warning Paul, like this bad stuff's going to happen to you, just so you know, like I know that I'm sending you there, but bad stuff's going to happen. And so he's preparing Paul's heart for this thing. And Paul's, right, he's determined to do it anyway. He goes, and we see this hand. And, and if you remember the people who were getting these revelations, they were begging Paul not to go, right? We saw that last week. And Paul says, you're breaking my heart. Like, I, I don't want to hurt you guys, but I got to go anyway. They stopped warning him or stopped telling him that he shouldn't go. And it says that they said, the Lord's will be done. And that's like when Jesus taught us how to pray, that was part of it, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of the prayer. That's part of a prayer that we should consider as we pray is like, all right, not everything that happens on this earth is the will of God, but we pray that it is. And that's what they prayed over him. And we see the hand of God in this situation. We see the hand of God protecting Paul, and we see the leadership of the Romans actually protecting Paul from the people who say that they're godly, it's from the super religious people who think that they have it all right, they're trying to kill Paul, but it's actually the, the pagan Romans who God sends to sort of protect Paul as the leadership of that area. It's an amazing thing, and it's a really cool thing. And what I want you to see, uh, and I've titled tonight, Weaver at the Loom. God is an artist. He's an artist of time. He's an artist of of creation, right? Like he created everything that we can see. He created the most beautiful scenery that you've ever seen. And he and I just got back from Hawaii and it's like, it's an amazing thing to look at like stuff that's not man-made. It's like waterfalls and forest and caves. And it's like, and God is an awesome artist and not to embarrass Jaslyn, but she painted this right here. It's a beautiful piece of art that we love and we, we hang in our living room. And 
But the cool thing to know is that God gave Jaslyn the ability to paint his creation. So he's given Jaslyn this ability to create something that he created from nothing, <laughs> which is incredible. Like, God is an amazing artist in so many ways. So many ways. And I, I have some scripture here that I'm not going to, like, really dig into, but if you want that, I'm going to give you the, the passages, and if you want to read them on your own time, I'd encourage that. Uh, Jeremiah 18 says that God is a potter, and he tells his prophet to go look at this potter and observe this potter who's creating this, this pot, right, out of clay, and he's spinning these things. And the whole point is the pot sort of gets wobbly and it falls apart and Potter just picks it up and beats it back into a ball and he starts all over. And God's point is, I want you to tell Israel that this is them. They kind of got wobbly, they kind of fell apart, and I'm going to completely reshape them. And his point is, when I make a promise for destruction to come upon a nation and they repent of what they've done, and they stop the wickedness that I'm going to punish for them, I will relent from the destruction that I promised them. God says over and over and over throughout the prophets that he's a God who relents. He says, likewise, a nation that I've promised good to, if they stop doing the good that they were told to do, then I will relent from the good that I promised them. Just like a potter, when he says, ah, I don't like the shape of this thing, he's going to reform it. And he is the creator of those things, so he has complete reign over them. Proverbs 8 is wisdom herself sort of proclaiming where she came from. It's a, it's a beautiful proverb written by somebody who really understands wisdom. But in that, in verse 30, wisdom says that she is a master craftsman. And the interesting thing about that original language is that as a student learns from a master, that's what that word kind of means. They become a master craftsman by receiving from the master craftsman. And that's what wisdom says that she is. She's a master craftsman because God made her that. And that she existed before creation existed. And through her came everything. Okay, so... That master craftsman, we read about the craftsmen in uh, Ephesus, that they got all mad because they wanted to make idols, right? And it's funny that, I believe that verse that I quoted, we are his workmanship, it's to the Ephesians. Like, he's writing to these people who have been converted, these artists, and says, God is, like, we are his workmanship. He has formed us to do good works, right? So he's a creator in that way. He's a, an artist in that way. And Jesus says, and this is so interesting, there's a moment where Jesus, uh, he heals a paralytic, he forgives a man, and then he heals him to prove that he can both forgive and heal. And because he says this phrase, he says, my father has been working, right? They, they get all mad because he did this thing on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And he says, my father's been working until now, and I've been working. And it's an interesting thing because they were seeking to kill him at that moment. And yes, Jesus is saying, God's been working. I've been working on the Sabbath. Like we're healing. It's, it's not like exactly like we're swinging a hammer. We are healing these people. We're bringing them back to a whole thing. But 
there's a second meaning to this, right? My father's been working until now, and I've been working. Up to that point, everything in history was building to that point. Everything in history was building to them trying to kill Jesus. And it started there. And so Jesus says, this is what my father and I have been working up to throughout history. The promise that the Christ would come came as soon as man fell right after creation. So up to this point, we've been working for them to try and kill me because that was what the sacrifice would be. That is what covers our sins and makes it so that we can enter into right relationship with God. Um, the topic that always comes up is Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, that he would had start having these dreams. He was like the younger of his brothers, and he starts having these dreams that they're going to bow down to them. And he sort of, you know, he didn't use that dream that God gave him quite perfectly. He sort of started boasting about it, and his his brothers got jealous, and they were sick of hearing that he was their father's favorite, and now they were supposed to bow down to him at some point. So they conspired against him, and they sold him into slavery. It's an amazing story, again, that we see God has his hand on his, his people throughout the worst of situations. And throughout all of the darkness in Joseph's life, he trusts God, and he tries to be a godly man, even when he thinks nobody's looking. He tries to continually be a godly man, and God blesses him through that and protects him through that, and eventually brings him to the ruler of that area's right-hand man. And he shows him that there's going to be this big famine. And so he's the right-hand guy. He's the guy that divvies out all the food. He's the guy that's in control of the whole nation, the whole area. And people start coming to him, and eventually his brothers come to receive food from him, and they don't recognize him, and they bow down to him. And his, his dream is realized. But it's not like, I told you guys that this is going to happen. He weeps. They don't recognize him. And he ends up forgiving them and comforting them. And, and he says this amazing thing at the end of that story. He says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about that, that Hebrew word meant, it literally means to weave. So God is... Both? What? When he says it for his brothers and for God. Both. Mm-hmm. So, you weaved this thing for evil. And God was like, <laughs> And God, he weaved it into his plan and into his will for good. So, the weaver at the loom is, it's the name of a band I like, but it's also this really cool idea that there's these dark threads, right? And... God uses those dark threads for some of the most beautiful parts of the tapestry. And he's, he's got a plan, and he sees shifts, and he she- sees things, and he sees people trying to do evil, and he uses that stuff for good. And we see Paul in what we just read. Uh, he trusts in God's artistry. Even when he can't see it, he's laying on the ground, getting kicked and beaten until the the centurions show up. But by an angry mob, it says the whole city was in an uproar. Everybody's trying to get a swing in on Paul. And he is getting kicked and beaten. And he's 
been through this before. He's getting up there in age. He's not this young buck anymore, you know? He, he's, he's, but he's taking it. And he doesn't see in that moment this beautiful art that God is creating. But God's hand is on him, and he puts him in a position <laughs> above everybody, right? He's going up the stairs. They carry him up. And then he's like, ah, let me, let me talk to them. So he addresses them, and he tries to speak love to them, bruised, bloody, all beaten up, that they were just kicking and beating him. And he doesn't lose heart. He still... And even when God was telling him this is what was going to happen, he prepared himself. He was ready for it. Even though he didn't see it in that moment, he used the opportunity and says, okay, this is why. This is why this is happening. And so he responds by preaching to them. So I want to talk to you guys about God as an artist. And even if you're not an artist, if you're an artist, awesome. Even if you're not an artist, though, I want you to consider God's artistry. He takes, again, the darkest parts, and he can bring them to the brightest thing, right? He moves the most melancholy tune into a crescendo, into a song of victory, right? He smooths out the lump of the clay until it's completely smooth, or he just reforms it and makes something completely different. The Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ, right? He completely, okay, you have this mess, but I'm going to make it something beautiful. I'm going to make it something awesome. And again, he weaves the biggest errors in the tapestry into the most beautiful part of the tapestry. He is a master craftsman. He is the weaver at the loom. He is in control, and he can use even the darkest parts of our lives for good. And ultimately, he takes chaos and he forms something that has order. He gives order to it. He gives meaning to chaos. There's a moment where the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned over here? This guy's been blind since birth. Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, he didn't sin, his parents didn't sin, but he's blind so that God's power can be proclaimed, right? And the whole question starts, well, did God make him blind so that at that moment Jesus could heal him and then God's greatness can be seen? That's not even what we're talking about. But what happens in that moment, if something seemingly meaningless, this guy's like, been blind since birth, he's just been begging, he just has this sort of feeling like a meaningless life, but God gives purpose to it. He takes him, and he makes him into this glorious thing. God heals this guy. People have seen him begging their entire lives, and they're like, isn't that the blind guy? Yeah, Jesus healed him. And it becomes this amazing thing that we're still reading about thousands of years later. So, God brings order to chaos, and... What I want to say, too, about this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about that we go through things. We go through really dark things. We go through complicated things, and God comforts us through those things. And then Paul goes on to say, so that we can comfort others. The ministry of comfort 
can be brought to people because we go through things. So sometimes the darkest things in our lives, the toughest things in our lives, God is going to use that so that we can help others in our lives. So with this idea of God as an artist, I want to do like a sign-up sheet. There's a pottery class that's here in Long Beach, and I want to get the details and see if we can get a deal. But if, if just... A few people go, it's 60 bucks per person, which is not great. But if we can get like, you know, if we can get 10 people, we'll see if we can get a discount. I want to kind of do a pottery class. It's a one-night thing. You sit and you spin and you make pottery. I think that would be an awesome thing to do. So I'll, that's my plan. So I'll, I'll put a piece of paper if you guys are up for it, and I'll, I'll keep that sign-up sheet throughout the weeks. And when Axe is done, we'll have like a, a pottery night for anybody who's interested. Also, uh, there's going to be an art day or an art night once the weather allows us to go out. And I kind of want to just do like painting, drawing, music out in the yard and just have a day or a night of art. That's sort of on my mind. It's something I want to do. And I want to do these things to not just have fun. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) But also proclaim God as creator and say, I'm creating because God has made me to create, and he's He's created me, and like he's an awesome artist, and I want to glorify God with my art. So, just some things that I have on my mind that I want to do. Uh, but tonight, like I said, um, I just wanted to close and be able to pray together. 